Well, today I want to talk to you about a shift that I believe God wants us to do in our culture today, and that's go from a me-first attitude to a selfless servant of God attitude. Now, let me ask you um, a couple of questions, and that is, have you ever thought to yourself, why are we here? Why are we here? And what I mean by that is, why are we having church? Why are we having church live or online or in our cars or wherever it may be? What is the purpose for our gathering? Why do we gather every week? What's the purpose of those things? Well, some of you might say, well, the reason that we come together is to worship God as one body. Now, I understand that's, that's maybe a, 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 an answer. That's a, a good answer. Someone else might say it's to fellowship, to have koinonia, to, to get to, to know one another and build community like we just read in Acts 2, 46 through 47. Or another person might say the purpose of the church or, or why we gather is to serve our community and to reach our city for Jesus Christ. But I believe that one of the main reasons we come together, and those are all important reasons, but I believe the main reason we come together is to learn biblical truths from God's word that will help us to grow in our our faith to become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Now, I would I'd like to ask you a couple of questions too. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Has anyone ever hurt you? If you know that in your heart, you're like, yeah, that's happened in my life. Have you been wrongfully accused for something that you did not do? Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been threatened. Maybe you've been threatened in your life. Or maybe you've been talked about by others negatively. Or maybe someone has talked about your, behind your back at work or at school or something of that nature. And you know exactly what that's like. And you know the feeling of what that is when you've gone through one of those things. And if you said yes to any of those questions that I just asked you, I want you to understand that you are in good company. You're in good company because there's a lot of great people of God throughout the Bible that have gone through the same experiences that I just asked you if you've gone through those things or if you've experienced those things. And we're going to look at young David and we're going to look at King Saul because King Saul was literally trying to kill this young man. But we discover that there's a shift that took place. There's something that happened in David's life towards this man, that mad king who he um, was serving. Instead of revenge, David ended up repenting. Instead of fighting fire with fire, David showed grace. Now, how how did that happen? We're going to look at that in just a moment. But I believe that God wants to break away the limits of our past or what we've experienced in this thing called life. Even the present hurts that we're dealing with that we've gone through. Maybe you said, yes, pastor, I've gone through those things or I've experienced those things or those things have happened in my life. And I believe God wants to shift something in our hearts and in our minds so that we can be more gracious, more forgiving to those who have hurt us or wronged us. And God wants to show us how to shift from a hurt and wounded heart to a healed one. Amen. Now, I'm so thankful for this big, giant satellite. Amen. Thank you, guys. I had that Chicano glory glowing on me, and maybe that was looking at the, the TV screens for y'all. Y'all are just seeing this glow-in-the-dark Mexican or something like that. But again, thank you, guys, for all that you've done uh, to, get, to do that. Well, today I want to talk about our culture's favorite subject. Do you know what our culture's favorite subject is? It's me. No, not Troy Singletary, okay? That's not the culture's favorite subject, but it's you, it's us, it's I. And here's what I've discovered, that if we're going to fight against a self-centered lifestyle, which is what happens in our culture, we have to remember that it's not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me. Think about it. There's something about that word I that gravitates to us. We have iPhones. We have iPads. We have iTunes. We have ice cream. Okay, I, I know I stretched it there for a moment. But the bottom line is this. We are all in a culture that has made it about us. We have made it about us. And if we're not careful, this battle between me, myself, and I will not only affect our relationships with others, but it will affect our, our, our relationships with the people that we work with. It will affect our relationship with God. It can affect our nation. It can affect our church. It can even affect our relationship with God. Because we're living in a day and age where selfishness is at an all-time high. 
We must learn how to combat it. We got to learn how to fight against it. We have to make a shift from a self-centered life to a selfless one. And that's one of the hardest things to do. And when you think about it, fighting is something we hear about in songs. When I was raised in the 80s, there was a song called, you got to fight for your right to party from the Beastie Boys. There was a song by Twisted Sister called, We're Not Going to Take It. There's a song by Rachel Platten, Say Fight. It's called Fight Song. There's all sorts of songs that talk about fight. And there's even movies that we've seen that, that there's fighting from Rocky, you know, in a boxing movie or, or um, Karate Kid or Braveheart or Glory or all these movies that, that we see fighting taking place. And you see, let me just say this. Fighting is a part of our culture. It's a part of our culture. People are always going to fight for values or for principles or for certain things in life. And, but what if we learn to fight against self-centeredness? We don't fight against self-centeredness. We embrace it. We, we captivate it. But what if we fought against a self-centered lifestyle? And, 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 not, and, and if that happened, what, it, what would we learn to fight against this me-first attitude that people display in our culture? Well, I could imagine what would happen in our culture if we had a, a selfless a culture, you know, in our communities, in our relationship with God, if we had more selfless than selfishness, something would happen. I, I guarantee you probably what would happen is there'd be less divorces. If our culture fought against self-centeredness, I think there would probably be a lot less affairs, marital affairs. There would probably be a lot less issues in our nation or in churches. There would be a lot less judgment or bullying in schools or complaining as a nation or as churches or even as a society. You see, I believe that the word of God is filled with a wealth of information. There's application in this book. There's transformation that comes, that helps us to shift from bitterness to becoming better, to go from good to great, to go from reaction to responding in a godly manner that we learn about. Now, let me ask you one more question. How do we fight against self-centeredness? How do we do that? Well, by the end of this message, I believe we're going to have answers for you on that. But again, we go back to there was this king named Saul. Now, Saul was an individual who started off great. He, he was the kind of king that people followed. They admired. They respected. You know, he had incredibly good intentions. But instead of pursuing the presence of God, something happened in his life. There was a shift, not in a positive way, but in a negative way that happened. He was obsessed with power. He was obsessed with his position as a king, and he was obsessed with the title of that king. And ultimately, his goal was to kill David because he was threatened by him. He was jealous of him. And let me just say this, that when you feel threatened by someone or you are jealous of someone or something, it's going to cause you to do something dumb. It's going to cause you to do some crazy, crazy things that in the long run, you're going to regret and say, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I, why did, you know, all sorts of things that we do. And because of being threatened and because of jealousy, David, King Saul went after a massive witch hunt for this young man. And it caused so much drama for David's life. Instead of enjoying the fruit of, of, of killing Goliath and doing all these things that he had done for King Saul, he was literally running for his life. And instead of King Saul pursuing what God wanted to do for the country of Israel, he was just in this witch hunt for trying to get David. And eventually their paths would collide as after Saul was searching to kill David. And we're going, to took, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 24 this morning, and we're going to look at 1 through 15. So if you have your Bible or your app, you can turn there, or it'll be up on the screen. But we're going to break it down in four sections this morning. And it says in 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 3, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes, some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. 
But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now, in 1 Samuel 23, if you read it, uh, Saul went, into, uh, went with his army to fight the Philistines. They were in a battle, and, and eventually they defeated them. And Saul got back from the battle. Instead of having a celebration with his warriors and his troops and about the victory that they had, or said, hey, let's take a break, you know. Um, you know, we deserve a break today at McDonald's. They didn't do any of those things. Instead, they went straight, he went straight to pursuing David. And he went to pursue David, not to congratulate him or to say, hey, David, good job. I appreciate all that you're doing. You know, I want to give you the keys to the city. No, he was after him. He was after him. And Saul wanted David dead. He wanted him dead. Now, it says that David fled into Engedi in verse 1 that we just read. And Engedi is a great place for David. It was a great place for him and his men to hide out. Why? Because there was lots of water. There was lots of shade. There was wildlife that was nearby. It was a perfect place to be in a defensive position when it came to uh, the enemy that was coming at them. And Saul unknowingly goes into the cave where David and his men are. Now, it's interesting to note that a sheepfold, which is discussed in verse 3, was this large cave big enough to shelter a flock of sheep. And all of most of David's men, the Bible, some scholars say that there was about 600 men in that cave. Talk about a hide-and-go-seek place. That's huge, 600 men that were in the recess of those caves. Now, here's where it gets weird. In verse 3, it says that Saul went to the cave to go to the bathroom. Now, if there's anything I know about men, none of us, when we're with a group of guys, say, I got to go to the bathroom. Do you guys want to go with us? We're like, no, go. Do whatever you need to do. None of us, you know, as men, like to go to the restroom with a bunch of other guys. So Saul went to this cave to go to the bathroom. And since he went alone, his soldiers weren't with him. His bodyguards weren't with him in that moment of being in the cave by himself. And the place where Saul went to relieve himself, that's exactly where David and his men were staying in that cave. Now think about that. What are the chances of that happening? What are the chances that that would happen? And there was no coincidence in terms of why. And I believe that God was arranging that to test David, to test David, to train David, to display David's godly heart in that moment. But David did something that is contrary to the nature of men, especially when someone wrongs you, especially when someone threatens you, especially when somebody wants you dead. He chose not to get revenge on Saul because he chose to live a selfless life. And church, I want you to remember this. If you want to write this down or, or, or you want to, this is one of the points I want to share with you. And church, that is this. We need to remember that an act of being selfless, when you and I choose to live a selfless life, it will always draw you to the heart of God. It'll always draw you to the heart of God. In Acts 13, 22, Paul called David a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. A selfless, an act of being selfless will always draw you to the, to the heart of God. Now we go on and it reads in 1 Samuel 24, 4 through 7. David's men said this, now's your opportunity. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Now they're bringing the Lord into the table. Now they're saying this is what God wants. This is of the Lord, David, for you to kill this man who's made your life a living hell who's made your life miserable, who's done all these things to you. So David crept forward. Ah, here's where it comes. Here's where the drama happens. And cut off his head. No, it says it cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. How can you die from cutting the the hem of someone's robe? 
But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul after Saul had left the cave and gone on his own way. Now think about it, friend. There's Saul. He's going to the bathroom. There's David with his men, and they're like saying, David, this is of the Lord. You, you've got the opportunity. This is, this is no coincidence. This is a divine appointment from God that you need to go and take this guy's life out and do all sorts of things. This is a gift from the Lord. And David's men had to be thrilled because they're thinking to themselves, finally, we're not going to be fugitives. We're not going to have to hide in caves. Now he's going to be installed as the king, and we're going to be his ambassadors, and we're going to be a part of his cabinet, and we're going to be his associates, and we're going to be able to say we're friends with David. And they're going to say, whoa, you're friends with David. Well, man, you can have whatever you want in this restaurant or in this store, whatever it may be. But David drew his sword. And he didn't bring it crashing down on his back or his his neck or his head. Instead, verse 4 says that he secretly cut off a corner of his robe, of Saul's robe. David did not stab Saul's body because of bitterness or anger towards him. Think about it, friends. Did Saul make David's life a pleasant one? Answer me that question. No. He made his life difficult. He made his life hard. He made it frustrating, all sorts of things. But David kept taking the issue that he had with Saul and he took it to the Lord. Let me just tell you, whatever your issue is that you're facing in this thing called life, you need to take it to the Lord. You need to take it to the Lord in prayer. You need to take it to the Lord in his presence. Because let me tell you, when you're in the presence of an almighty God, there is a cleansing that takes place. There is a shifting that takes place from the hurt, the offense, the bitterness, and the anger. Listen to me, church. Take those hurtful words. Take those hurtful deeds that have been done to you. Maybe someone's talked falsely or accused you of something. They have backstabbed you. They have gossiped about you. They've even threatened your life. And take those issues to the Lord. Because that is what helped David. That's what helped him. Sometimes in conversations or or in criticism, we might try to cut off a piece of someone's character. We might try to cut off uh, someone's influence. But David not only kept himself from taking vengeance on Saul, but he restrained his servants. That's a whole nother kit and caboodle to say to these 600 men, no, 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 don't touch him. Don't mess with him. I mean, think about it. You might say, well, Lord, you know, it, it was just between you and I, so I didn't hurt him. But, you know, I can't control these guys. You know, they have a will and a mind. So, you know, David, can we do it? Yeah, go ahead. Go kill him. No, they didn't do anything. He didn't allow them. When David's service saw his godliness and how he wanted to please God and everything, their hearts were restrained from even going forward and advancing and killing this guy. How many of you have ever seen the movie 42? If you've ever seen the movie 42, it's about Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson, of course, was one of the first African-Americans to play professional baseball. And in the movie, Ricky, the GM of the Brooklyn Dodgers, wants to hire Jackie Robinson to be the first African-American player to play in the major leagues. And Ricky told Jackie because of the hostility he was going to experience, this is what he said, the general manager said to Jackie. He said, I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. Think about that. You want to hire someone that's not going to fight back, even though people say all these things about you. And and there's one scene in the movie that shows the manager of the opposing team. And he's saying all these horrible, disgusting words to Jackie about his color and race. But Jackie Robinson restrained himself when he had every right to go and probably beat this guy up because of what he was doing. Again, Ricky told Jackie, I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. 
Now, which brings me to my next point. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. David restrained himself and his men from killing Saul. You might think to yourself, well, I, I have a spiritual act to do. I'm, uh, this is, a, you know, I've got to tell the people about this person because of what he's doing. Do you really have the authority to do that? Or maybe you're just letting your pride get in the way. Or maybe your fear or whatever it may be or your insecurity or whatever it may be. I mean, here's an individual who, who, who could have done something. David could have done something. But just because you can does not always mean you should. David restrained himself and his men from killing Saul in that moment. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 24, 8, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. How many of you have ever gone through a situation where you had the right and you had the, the ability to do what you should have done, but you didn't do it? I remember one time I was with a young man in our youth ministry and we were at a 7-Eleven and we went and got some stuff and there were some gang members that were nearby and, and I remember they were looking at us and I, I didn't have a piece about what was going to happen. And I remember what ended up happening was the young man that was with me and several other young men said, hey, we know who those guys are. They're gang members in the East Bay area of, of Oakland area. And, and um, what ended up happening was... Um, you know, we, I said, guys, get in the car. And we got in the car, and, and as we were driving away to go to another part of the parking lot, they threw stuff at my car, and um, we had to park over at another side. And, and all of a sudden, these guys started coming to my side of the car. And, of course, how many of you know that our cars say, you know, your object appears larger than you think? And I was like, oh, my gosh, these guys are going to kill us. And I remember as these guys came over to us and just started foul-mouthing and doing a bunch of other stuff, like, why are you looking at us and doing all this other stuff and giving us a hard time and... And I, I wasn't giving them a hard time or looking at them anyway, but I was like, you know, my goodness, we're going to die. This is drama. We're going to end up on the Newark uh, magazine or newspaper. But I'll never forget that in that moment, something within my spirit just quickened. And, and the Lord said, tell this guy that you love him. I'm like, Lord, I can't tell this guy I love him in the Bay Area. Are you crazy? You know, this is not pretty. And I just said, hey, I don't want any drama, but I just want you to know, Lord, I want you to know that the Lord loves you and I love you too. And he literally jumped back a little bit and said, man, I'm not down with that. And I can't say what he said. But, um, but he walked away. Now, I could have said, hey, you guys, you know what? These guys, we can take them. We can beat them up. We can do this. We can show them that we're warriors for God and all that. But somehow, some way, the Lord spoke to me and just said, tell them that I love them and that you love them too. It was amazing what God did in that moment. David took a big chance because he surrendered himself to Saul in that moment. We might think that David had the right to choose to come to Saul as an equal but instead, he said, Saul, you are the boss. He said, Saul, I know it, and I respect your place as my leader and as my king. He also showed great, great trust in God. You see, a lot of the reasons why we do what we do is because we don't trust God. We want to be God. We want to show the way it should be God. You have it all wrong. You don't know how this, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You know, you know. we've got to learn to trust God. And, and he showed great trust in God because he made himself completely vulnerable to Saul. But David was not focused on his kingdom or his needs, but he was focused on God's plan and God's purpose. You see, David could have done to Saul what Saul wanted to do to him, but he chose not to. And how was it that David was able to do that? Do that? Because David chose to walk in humility, which brings me to my next point. Humility will protect you from stooping down to someone else's negative level. It really will. It will protect you. Humility will protect you from doing something that you have no reason to do in terms of fighting fire with fire. So we come to the last part of Scripture in 1 Samuel 24, 9 through 15, and it says this. 
Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes, isn't it true? For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hurting me for to kill or even though you've been hurting me for hunting for me to kill you to kill me. Verse 12, may the Lord judge me between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people comes evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. What did David do? David showed kindness. He showed tact to Saul. Even in confrontation, David covers Saul's sin. Now, some people reading this story might say, hey, David, lay it on the line. Come on, brother, have a backbone. Tell it like it is. And David will to some extent if you, if you read on or if you read it. But even when he does, he shows mercy and he shows kindness to Saul. Why does he do that? Because, friends, the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 12, love covers all sins. 1 Peter 4, 8 says love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, in verse 11 that we just read in 1 Samuel 24, he tells us Saul sees the corner of, of your robe in my hand. This was the proof that David would fulfill, would, would, had full opportunity to kill Saul, but not, didn't take that opportunity. David would let God plead his case and be his judge. And if you read verse 15, David tells Saul, Saul, therefore, let the Lord be judge and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And David did the harder thing. He chose to trust God to deliver him instead of trusting in himself. David had to fight against self-centeredness. He had to fight against selfish desires. And he made a shift. And as we wrap this up, as the worship team comes, how did he make that shift? Because the last point is this, friends. When he cho- David chose to focus on the entire story rather than the single chapter. Because God's kingdom is always bigger than your kingdom. God's kingdom is always bigger than our kingdom. And we need to remember that. We need to remember today that God has, we need to focus on the entire story and not just a single chapter. You see, David was, if he would have focused on the single chapter of his life, he probably would have took out Saul. But somehow he realized that there's a chapter in the book and that God has the entire story and that God's kingdom was bigger than his. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Find someone that you trust. Find someone that cares for you. Find someone that loves loves you and wants the best for you. And ask them this simple question. Where am I most selfish at? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you where you're selfish. And it's going to be hard to swallow and it's going to be hard to accept. But when you let them speak to you openly, when you allow them to speak to you honestly, by faith, by prayer, by accountability, the healing will begin in your life. So right now, oh, you probably know the answer. Where am I most selfish with? So I have a couple of questions to ask you. What area of your life is God calling you to be selfless in today? 
What issues in your life do you take to the Lord that you're dealing with today? Because we all have issues. We all have drama. But are you taking it to the Lord on a daily basis? Or are you holding on to it? Are you trying to figure it out? There's, there's nothing wrong with doing the natural. Don't get me wrong, friends. But sometimes we try to be God instead of trusting God. And that's where we get into trouble. What issues in your life do you take to the Lord that you're dealing with today? How is your humility level right now? Would you say that you're a humble person or you're a haughty person? Would you say that you're a person that's filled with the presence of God? Or would you say that there's more pride in you? How is your humility level today? Because I guarantee you that is what got David through. That's the shift that happened. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, there's, there's a lot of pride in me. Because instead of humbling myself, I got to fight fire with fire. I got to get revenge. I got I to gotta do this or that. Or I got to cut a piece of a person's character because they cut mine. Think about that question. Only you know the answer to it. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. And that's you. And you're saying, Pastor, I want to give Jesus my life. I want to be able to have that ability through the power of the Spirit of the living God to do what David did when, when sometimes, Lord, it's hard to do that. Or I want to rededicate my life because I've been living a religious experience and not a relationship. And the last thing is this, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your circumstance that you're dealing with, are you focused on the chapter more than the book? Meaning, are you focused more on your kingdom than on God's kingdom right now? Only you know the answer to that question. And if you answered yes to any of those things, like, yes, there's an area of my life that God wants me to be selfless with, it's with my finances. I make it all about me and what I want and what I need, and I don't make anything about God. Then you need to repent. Or maybe that issue, maybe it's with an individual or with someone, or, or I don't know what it is, or a hurt, or whatever it may be. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. So, Father, right now, touch your body. Touch your church. For the individual that wants to give their life to you or rededicate their life to you, Lord, I pray right now that they would just do that, whether they're here or they're online or in their car or they're listening to me throughout this community right now. And just where you're at, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross and you rose from the grave. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior.